podcast. I'm Jade Meskill. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Roy Vandewater. So, Roy, you wanted to talk about uh, something, but I'll send you an invite for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then yeah. maybe we can talk about it. Okay, we'll try it this way. <laughs> Audience members, we have big news about Agile Weekly, but we're not going to tell you until two weeks from now. And it could be either good or bad. The surprise in a box. People love surprises, right? Quick disclaimer, we have no news. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... You didn't even have to wait three weeks to find out. I, I think that I've seen a couple of patterns happen here. I've seen one pattern with it. It's the person that really gets off on the big surprise. Like, I know something, I'm going to tell you something, and, like, it's exciting for me... To withhold that. To withhold the information because I'm going Ooh. to give this big surprise. I've caught myself doing that a few times. The problem is is they don't understand that the person on the other end does not know if it means they're getting a shotgun to the forehead or they're getting a $30,000 raise. And they always are going to default to shotgun in the face. So That's safer. That, that nice two-week pause of anticipation is like waiting for your cancer test results, mm-hmm. and they don't get that. So that's one pattern I see. Um, the other pattern I see is the, I just want to tell you that I know important stuff that you don't know, and it's really like, I just want to flaunt that, mm-hmm. um, right. which is another bad pattern. And then the other one is the, we don't know what the hell we're doing, but we know we're doing something. And when we just unload and say like, hey, we did this crazy thing that nobody agrees with, and we didn't consult anybody about, you would criticize the hell out of us that you didn't even think about that. You just pulled it out your ass. So instead, we tell you, hey, this big thing's coming that we don't know what it really is, and we're going to pull it out of our ass, but it's not going to look like we did because we told you two weeks beforehand <laughs> that we right. were going to do something. And there's a f- fourth option, too, which is we got really, really bad news, and we don't know how to break it to you, yes. so we're going to give you two weeks, and we're going to kind of start some rumors and see how people react so we can uh, adjust our message accordingly. Yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of the bad news stuff really comes down to People don't know how to position her message. Like, it's the whole crucial conversation, fierce conversation type of thing where instead of just being direct and saying, like, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. You know, these are the potential things that I see. These are the potential things I don't think are going to happen. Instead, it's like, well, until I have all the information, I don't want to go tell somebody because if they ask me a question and my answer is I don't know, that's going to be worse. The problem is if they know something's happening and you're not giving them any information at all, they will assume the absolute worst case scenario. So I'm just telling you, if you're a manager out there, you need to tell people something and you don't have all the information, you are better off giving them the information that you have available and saying, I don't know to the things you don't know, than you are trying to hold off for all of the information to be relevant. Or or don't tell them that you're going to tell them. Correct. Wait till you're ready to actually tell them and then Correct. just tell them. Mm-hmm. Seems simple. Must be impossible. Yeah. In a perfect world. <laughs> In a perfect <laughs> world. <laughs> so speaking of a perfect world, what happens if you're uh you're working in a in a team and uh they know that they're doing the wrong thing? There there's some there's some force that's causing them to do the wrong thing intentionally. Uh, but but yet they don't seem to do anything about it. They don't do anything about it? 
maybe they feel powerless to to refuse to do the thing they know is wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think to me it, it just shows the lack of health within the organization as a whole. I mean, I think if you're kind of co-creating things with a product owner, with um, uh, management, with your organization, if you see something that looks like it's really damaging or a complete waste of time, you should be able to have that open dialogue and there should be trust on both sides to say, how do we reconcile it? Uh, maybe, maybe I think it's a waste of time. You don't. Um, maybe you can help me see that picture. Maybe I can help you see my picture. But there's some kind of dialogue or compromise or something that happens there. I think when the teams get to the point where they're like, yeah, this is just... It was a classic case. If you go into a planning meeting, you go through a planning, and everybody's totally complicit. Nobody says really anything bad about what's happening. And then the minute they all leave as they're walking down the stairs or down the hallway, they're like, this is the dumbest thing ever. This is freaking... Like, that is a huge sign that there's something wrong. Um, And the problem is what it does is it starts to build up to the point where the teams just don't care about the product. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly being told to do things that you don't believe are the right things to do for the product, pretty soon you don't care about the product. And then it makes it impossible to do even the right things for the product. So how do you start to reconcile that? Let's say you're, you're working with a team that's been put in this position where they know that uh, what they're being asked to do is not the right thing for the product. Uh, they're very resistant to doing whatever it is that's being asked of them, uh, but yet they don't they don't know how to address that or how to reconcile it with the organization. I mean, I think one of the ways that I would start to approach it is to, if if I, if I understood why the team felt that way, it would probably depend on what the reasoning was, um, uh, and, and coach to that. Uh, more often than not, it's usually like we just think this is dumb. Right. Like, I think it's we, a waste of time. There's no value in it. There's mm-hmm. a waste of time. And so what I would generally do is say, like, hey, you might be powerless to do anything, but you can do the exact same thing that you should expect people to do from you, and that's hold you accountable to your action or ask you to be responsible for your actions. And so what I would do is I would ask the product owner, why are we doing this? Can we measure that this is moving our product forward? Right? Are we going to gain new customers if we do this? Are we going to prevent losing customers if we do this? Are we going to be able to upsell existing customers that we have? How is this benefiting our product? right? And if they're not able to tell that story with data, then I think you can kind of push back a little bit on them and say, man, you know, I would feel a lot better if we had some data that helped us. Like, we would feel more passionate about this if we really knew that this was going to solve the problem. right? And I think that if you do that enough times... I think what can start to happen is I think the product owner has to start seeing themselves for what they are, which is, hey, I'm just shooting from the hip, just saying do X, do Y, do Z, and I'm losing credibility with the team. In the same way that if a team just says like, oh, we'll get stuff done, we're going to get it done, and don't you know, ask us to you know, look at anything, don't ask us to be accountable for our work or be responsible for when things ship, product loses respect or loses trust for the team, right? If I never do what I say I'm going to do and never produce results as a team, the product owner gives up. In the same way the team gives up if the product owner never produces results. Hmm. So Derek, what do you do then if you if you go back to the product owner and say like we don't really feel comfortable and the product owner says tough shit, do it anyway? I mean I, I think you're in a slightly precarious position. I'll be honest, if I'm a developer in that situation, I'm starting to dust off my resume. If if I can't if I can't be passionate and care about the product that I'm developing and I can't see where it's going, I, I'm I'm wasting my time. And I, I would be as transparent and open as possible to my manager, 
to my team and to the product owner about that, saying I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding. You know, you were telling me drive faster, drive faster, drive faster, and you refuse to show me where this car is going, and it's hard for me want, to want to stay in for the ride. I really want to, but every day I feel like jumping out of the car even though it's moving. So can you help me get there? And if the person can't respond to that, they're, you're, you're working for a product owner that can't deliver. And if, if that's the case, you're working to nowhere. Like, I mean, you know, and, and I think that, you know, the best answer that could potentially come out from that, or not the best, but, you know, the most honest answer is a product owner to be able to say, like, look, I, I'm struggling. I don't know, you know, I don't know either. I've got some other pressure that's forcing me to do this, and I don't want to do it either. At least at that point, it's like, okay, now let's go ask the person up the food mm -hmm. chain you know, what's going on. Because a lot of times I think what happens is stuff gets passed down through layers. So a CEO, a CTO, somebody sales says like, this is a huge problem. You have to take care of this right now. And they're talking about it in a complete vacuum of information. Right. And it just goes right through the food chain all the way down to a product owner who is like, Hey, I don't care. My boss's boss's boss told me that this has to be done. It's, and it's like, dude, does that person even know anything about their product? And it's like, no. And so sometimes if you roll that back up the food chain and say the large picture and you say like, we've got this huge thing that this giant vision that we're driving right. to over here and we've been asked to make a right turn that's going to make it so we can never get back there. Do you understand that? And the person would be like, oh, well, no, don't take the right turn. No, we, we definitely need to go to where we're going. Right. Right. But that conversation doesn't happen. And, and so I think in, in, if people don't try to put on the brakes and I'm not trying to say be... Uh, you know, com com combative or like, hey, I'm well, not willing to work. But I think at some point, I mean, if it really is just wasting everybody's time and it's a consistent thing, it's one thing if it's like a one-off, mm -hmm. you know, and you're just like, hey, you know, whatever, like we'll do it. It's a part of our sprint or a whole sprint. But if, if stuff like this is coming up every single sprint, it's just a symptom of a huge problem. It just makes a difference too if one person feels that way versus a bunch of people yes. feel that way. Like if one... If one person disagrees all the time, then maybe that one person is the problem. Right. But if the entire team each time is going like, this is the wrong direction or this adds no value or whatever, right. and they constantly express that, that's when we really start, start paying attention. Right. So why do you think more teams don't, do, don't deal with this? Because oh, it's, it's a lot easier to keep your head down, right? If, if somebody speaks up, like in my experience, when I speak up, I feel like... The rest of the team goes ahead and shoots me down preemptively so they won't be held responsible for my actions. <laughs> shoot your own soldier in the back so that enemy fire might come in, shoot your own right. soldier so that nothing comes back. Um, I, yeah, I think that it, it, it's difficult because, I mean, some people, you know, they've got a mortgage to pay, they've got a family to support. They're, they're afraid of making waves makes them, you know, not promotable or, you know, fireable even. I think sometimes they don't know. I mean, it, it's the, the, like, in my gut, I feel like we're just wasting our time. But, you know, I'm just a little developer on a little team, part of a bigger microcosm, and I have no idea if the product owner really says this is the most important thing, even though it feels completely not important. Maybe there's some magical information happening out with our customers that I don't know about, and this really is the most important thing, right? Even though it doesn't feel like it, even if I don't understand it, even if they can't articulate it, I, I think we get into the, we become subservient to like the boss said it was important, so mm -hmm. it has to be important. How could you question the boss? Right. 
In which case, if it really is important, right. a simple question of why are we doing this should have a quick answer, right? Right, that's true. But usually it's not the case because the problem is much more systemic than that. Right. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.